0: There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Data show
1: this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia swathed through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every
2: continent. It's the rate that's a great concern. And uh, What do you put so. that rate down to? You? Oh, it's human activity.
3: We have everything we need. Some. I still doubt that we have the will to act, but I say, the will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Climactic. I'll be your host today, Mark Spencer, and I'll ask you a somewhat ridiculous rhetorical question, because you already know the answer to this question. If I asked, who's one of the most influential climate change communicators of our time, Who would immediately spring to mind Uh, it could be bill nye it could be david attenborough but it's not those other two do address climate change and they're starting to more and more which i'm really grateful for but really top of mind should be al gore who whether you love or hate his politics or you don't know much of his story or you do you know him for one thing for sure and that's the film an inconvenient truth that film was a pivotal turning point in a lot of people's story on their awareness on climate change. And he didn't just make that film, he didn't just present a slideshow and then show some of the footage from how the world is changing because of climate change. He didn't just help the science community bust through the wall of actually talking to real people about their work. He went on and he did a sequel, an inconvenient sequel, Truth to Power, and he created the Climate Reality Project. Now, of course, you've already seen the title of this episode. You know this is about climate reality. But really, this is about the people behind it and the people who go to it. Which I'm very privileged to be able to say, this year includes me. I'll be going to climate reality training in June in Brisbane. And I'll be spending three days in a room with Al Gore and top climate scientists. And I have to pinch myself when I say that, because I can't believe that's actually going to happen. But what does that mean? What do I expect From this? What am I on the hook for afterwards? What would it take for you to be able to go as well? That's what we're going to answer in this episode. And it was a great deal to sit down with the head of the Climate Reality Australia Pacific Office, Lynn Doe, another one of my fellow future attendees, and one of the members of the Climate Reality team to talk about what it is and how it comes about. So tune in, check it out, think about applying yourself, and also, if you don't mind, share it. Tell friends, tell family. And tell that person who might just be an amazing leader on climate change, but not realize it yet. So we're here at the University of Melbourne's Baylew Library, and I hope I'm saying that right, upstairs in their podcast recording studio. And I'm back with members of Climate Reality for the second Climate Reality episode of Climactic. But this time with the leader of the Climate Reality chapter or part of the organization. I'll have to ask her, Office. Oh, I'm, I'm getting the, the word that it's the Climate Reality Office of Australia, Lynn Doe. So, Lynn, is it just of Australia or are you covering this entire region for Climate Reality?
0: Yeah, so Climate Reality is headquartered internationally in Washington, D.C., but we have 10 country offices all around the world, and I am really lucky to be able to work in the Australian Pacific office, so that includes not just Australia, but also New Zealand and about 22-odd different Pacific countries as well that I won't list today.
3: Okay, so we've got Lynn in the house with us to talk sort of all things higher-level climate reality, and the reason we're doing this is because there is another climate reality training coming to Australia for the first time in a few years. How how long since the last training here, Lynn?
0: So it's been five years since the last climate reality training in Australia.
3: So we're having the extremely good fortune of Al Gore and Climate Reality Training coming back to Brisbane this time in June of this year. I'm speaking here as a applicant to the Climate Reality Training Leadership core. There's so many words to put to it, and I don't even know the right wording, but it's like I applied to go to Climate Reality and was luckily accepted, which is great. And that's a whole story you'll hear about later in the show as well. I really wrote a great application. I'm not going to lie. Not even going to be humble about it. But we've got another applicant as well who got accepted. It got accepted. Apparently, I was number 84 and our guest here was number 85. So I'm going to hold that over him the whole recording (laughs) for no reason. It's just the only thing I've got. He's a very successful man in his field. He has achieved a lot more in academia than I ever will. And this is Kaushik. Hi, Kaushik. Hello. Hi, Mark. Lovely <laughs> to see you. How are you? I'm very good. I'm sorry about that intro. It's very, very 84 loose. 84
1: 85. It's <laughs> quality. As long as it's in the top 100, I reckon we're that's okay.
3: Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and across the whole of the Australia Pacific. You know, that's, that's it. That's Kudos. fantastic. Kudos. High five. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's not going to pick up, but oh, we it's will. It's proper one. There yeah. You. I'll boost that in the levels, too. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> Very kind. And finally, rounding out this foursome, we've got Alex. And Alex, what's, what's your role? What brought you to the table today?
2: So I am recently on board the climate reality team and I'm a project officer. So what that means is project at hand. I am there, um, all involved. And at the moment, it's a big project being the June training. Everything we do, every effort is going towards that.
3: So to put that in context for people listening, how big a project is the training? How how big a mission is this to, to pull off a training?
0: Pretty enormous. At the first climate reality training ever, uh, people who have seen an inconvenience sequel might have seen the I guess, image of Al Gore's family barn. That was where the first training ever was. The second ever training was actually in Australia and it was in the law firms of Baker and McKenzie. There were about 80 people in the room. I think it was actually just like a big sort of like very, very large boardroom, not even a proper conference centre. In Brisbane this coming June though, we're actually going to have 840 people in the room. So we're currently working to organise... A three-day training that involves not just Al Gore, but other people who are also leading experts in the fields of climate change communication, different ways of making a difference, whether that's in business or community. We're looking to bring on excellent people to the training. We've been engaging with people to be mentors at this event. It's it's pretty big, pretty big.
3: And so what does that mean then for you, Alex, in your kind of day-to-day? Like, what's your experience been like before this and how is it kind of using everything you bring to the table to... Wrangle together a three day event for 840 people?
2: <laughs> That's a huge question. Yeah, so my background is in community engagement, um, both locally and internationally. So I'm getting really involved in all things community. So that's both in Melbourne and across the country and into the Pacific. So um, leading up to this, I'm doing a lot of uh, recruitment for the training, spreading the word wide and far, but also post-training, I'll be getting really involved with all of the new people who join this community, which is yourselves, taking community to a new level. So making sure that community doesn't just mean the people you're with face-to-face and how can we make this movement global and be connected across the world through people who have trained with us, not just in this Brisbane training, but, you know, we've got a training happening in Atlanta right now. So how can we connect with those people as well? We're all in it for the same reason. So I'll be really focused there.
3: Just in case listeners like myself have kind of a, maybe not an exactly correct view of what climate reality is, I kind of describe it to people as, oh, this is the group that came out of Al Gore doing An Inconvenient Truth, and this is basically a way to carry on the giving of the presentation that Al Gore gave in Inconvenient Truth, to kind of bring that approach to science communication and climate change awareness through getting people together in a group and then running through through the facts. Now, that might have been where it started. I understand that the group is, is quite a bit bigger than that now. And, Can you, Lynn and Alex, just give us an idea of what climate reality is today?
0: Climate reality is many things to different people and depending on who you ask, there'll always be a different answer. And I think that's one of the really beautiful things about working at climate reality is just that diversity. And I think that diversity comes from not just where people have come from, but also what they're hoping to get out of the training and what they end up doing next as well. An Inconvenient Truth was released about 13, 14 years ago now. Uh, And I think 13 and 14 years ago, climate change certainly wasn't encouraging high school students to sort of get out on the, to the streets and strike. Um, so the issue has really sort of evolved since, and I think the approach climate reality has taken also has as well. Uh, we did predominantly start as an organisation that was very much, I think, based on the premise of so if people knew about this issue, they would take action. And I think a lot of that is still true. Peer-to-peer communication is really effective. People don't just trust the message They trust the messenger as well. But I think what we're now realising is that there's lots of different avenues where we need to be taking action on climate change. It's not just politically in terms of how we vote. It's not just in terms of how we spend our dollar. It's not just in terms of, you know, the other decisions that we make in a number of different ways. And what Climate Reality is really focused on now is how do we work with individuals who already have audiences in some shape or form, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a business place, a school, the community that you happen to be like playing footy in, whatever that happens to be. How do we help these people attend after attending this three day training, leave and take action on climate change in a way that makes sense? Striking and protesting isn't for everyone. And that's okay. You know, reaching out to politicians isn't for everyone. And that's also okay. So we're really, I guess, in the business, if you will, of helping people figure out, well, what is it for that person and that community that
2: really resonates that can also have an impact?
3: Is there anything you would add to that, Alex, and your idea of what this group is that you've joined?
2: If I can be the climate reality poster child and reference um, an Inconvenience sequel, we turn truth to power. And I think that's really what it is. There's so many people around the world who care deeply but don't know what to do. And so I think a huge part of what we do is We have this global community of people who are acting on climate and that is really different to caring and often feeling super stuck. So yeah, it's about uh, taking action in your community in the way that makes the most sense. And I think that that's key to what we do is taking that truth to power for people around the world.
3: So once you complete the training, you're called a, a climate reality fellow or a climate reality leader, or what's the correct terminology there of someone who's finished the training?
0: I think some of this is probably because we've been around for 13 years. That word has changed quite a lot. Uh, the current terminology, though, is climate reality leader. Colloquially in the office, I sometimes say curl, um, which one of our interns has adopted into curly-whirly. Um, we don't... Yes, it's, it's super Australian for us to be referring um, to people as that. I think one of the other things that's probably important to know is that historically we've trained about 800 people across the region and in this upcoming event in June we'll train another 800 people Um, and all of these people are in many ways already leaders and I think even if you don't do this training you also are so I know that you know especially in Australia sometimes when people hear oh you get to become a climate reality leader that's more off-putting than it is sort of appealing and I think to anyone listening to this today we as Climate Reality, the organisation, if you will, we recognise that climate change action is happening in so many different ways. And for us, this is our way, I guess, of opening up an opportunity that we have access to and that we can provide to people to say, if you want to continue in your existing leadership path, if we can help in any way, then we would definitely encourage you to apply.
3: So you take your Climate Reality leader is graduated. Do you find that, like, is there a substantial difference between someone who goes through the training and comes out the end with the group behind you with the connections and do you find a substantial difference between what they go on to do and people who are are already leaders in their community but they're doing it more either in isolation or with their own individual network and they haven't been able to tap into this this broader thing that climate reality is set up to create and and has created
0: so i'll share a story uh and i guess like age myself um, as well. So I actually did the climate reality training 12 years ago. I was trying to think about what the maths was before. And I was like, oh, it's more than a decade. Um, and when I did the training, I actually was a high school student myself. And obviously, I thought I was like the best person ever, because I not only cared about climate change was attempting to also do something about it. Um, and I was like, cool, I must have a lot of the solutions. But I am not an expert, I guess. I do not have a high school diploma. Let's go and do this training and, like, let's see what's happening. Um, And I remember walking into the room on the first day, probably feeling super overwhelmed. So I think I really, like, recognize the excitement that I can feel in the room right now, but also that, like, slight, like, anxiety almost of like, oh, what am I walking into? What is this three-day commitment that might be a lifelong commitment? Like what happens to me next? Um, And I walked into this room, not really knowing any of that. And the first thing that really struck me was the sheer diversity of participants there. There weren't that many other high school students in the room at the time. I think there were five other high school students. But there was a farmer. There was someone that was still working in a coal mine in, you know, regional Western Australia. There was someone who was about to, like, run for office with the Liberal Party. There was someone there who was a school teacher. There was a nurse. There were unionists. There were, like, well-known, famous celebrities. So look out for that in Brisbane as well. But there were just all of these people who were doing really different things with their lives and like both professionally and personally in general but they really cared about climate change and they were also taking action in different ways as well and I think I went in sort of I guess thinking that for myself as a high school student and upon sort of spending three days meeting some of these individuals who I never would have encountered in any sort of other area of my life and then leaving the thing that I left with the most was Sure, I now have like some of this like science communication background behind me. Yes, I've had the privilege of spending three days with Al Gore, but holy moly, I've just met 150 people all across Australia who are deeply passionate, just like I am, who are also taking action as well. And I think for me, that was sort of the big turning point was really being aware that my audience will never be the same as like a farmer's audience i could not go out into like regional australia and you know be very effective or like heard But that didn't mean that I didn't have a role and, you know, voice to still sort of play in this whole issue. Um, So I think that when people leave the climate reality training, it almost helps them really have a deep appreciation and understanding of who it is that they could be outreaching to, where it is that they can make a difference. And sometimes it's actually okay to not be thinking about what everyone else is doing, because hopefully there is someone else in that space and it just doesn't always have to be you.
3: Because I can see out in the community there are, of course, people doing amazing work on climate change who haven't been to climate reality. But it's I think it's fair to say that the opportunity to go and, and having done climate reality doesn't at all take anything away from one's ability to act autonomously or act as the person they already are in, in their community they come from. It is very much an additive and it's an extra layer of, of a whole network on top of you. So maybe to, to go to you, Kaushik, and, and you and me both were sitting here as – is Lynn 10 years in the past, 12 years in the past? Well, we're far less cute. We're not high school students. Would you call yourself a, a leader in what you're doing at the moment, or do you have a network already that you kind of have a bit of sway over, people who will listen to you on this topic? Because they know you're, you're approaching it sincerely and from a place of, of honesty. And do you feel like going off to climate reality, yeah, spending three days with Al Gore and top science communicators, is that more for your own development mm-hmm. and confidence? then that
1: increasing your stature in other people's eyes that's a really good question mark i think the issue of climate change has passionate people and pragmatic people mm-hmm. and if defined clearly then the understanding and the buy-in becomes a lot easier for both the you know the the skeptics as well as the ones that are ready to go on the journey i watched an inconvenient truth about a decade ago and i think that was one of the first documentaries from quite a famous personality describing an issue that was not really institutionalized in people's thinking. And that was about the time I started my career in sustainability as well. Uh, So over the last 12 years of having worked in sustainability and climate change, I've seen a lot of different um, opinions, challenges, definitions, and interpretations of this this particular topic. And working in business and in universities, you get to work with a wide range of stakeholders. Who, once again, they, you, if you ask a group of ten uh, people in business to define sustainability or climate change, you might get ten different definitions. So over the last decade or eleven or twelve years in this field, I think that I've got a bit of a experience to be able to coach and engage and educate people on climate change and sustainability. But I see the climate reality training with Al Gore as an opportunity to meet other like-minded people, get a better understanding of how they have done what they have done in their respective jurisdictions, in their businesses and universities, what are the challenges they have faced, and then ultimately taking that back Mm -hmm. And then mixing it with what I already kind of think I do almost second nature in my business or in my community. So it's taking the lessons learned from other people with what I already know, combining it and then using it to spread a more articulate message to an area or a country or communities where this might not be easily digested or absorbed if that mm-hmm. makes sense so that's one of one of the reasons that I'm really looking forward to this training but there there's so many different reasons and I think we've already touched on quite a few of those so yeah I'm I am as excited as you are mark to attend this training
3: excellent now uh, that's a really good distillation of it and and a really good kind of model for it as well I I tend to say that quite a bit when I'm talking to people in environmental groups I said a bit on the podcast that it's so easy if you are doing good work on climate and but you're kind of only in your little peer group and you're not looking up at the landscape enough. That You're in there in your group and you're working really hard on your particular passion, your problem, and you're trying to reinvent the wheel. You're trying to get your group to do something cohesively, but all you have to do is look at other groups who've been where you're at before or people who are a couple of years further down the track. And it can save you a lot of time and pain and effort. We don't need to be all reinventing the wheel. We just need the wheel to go faster. That's That's the problem we have we're not doing enough quick enough on
1: climate change you know when you think about when sustainability and when I do sustainability presentations we always try to define it as a generational thing right sometimes people don't understand it because when you think about sustainability you think of it as a, a stool with three legs you think about the economic the environmental and the social pillars the economic pillar is the one that stimulates many of the stakeholders that I interact with when I'm trying to take them on this journey but the other two are equally if not more important for the sustainability of future generations. I think one of the awesome things about the Climate Reality Project and this training, when Lynn mentioned there's about 800 people who will be coming to this training, um, I'm sure it's going to be people with very diverse thinking from many different parts of the world. And when you think about sustainability or climate change, it's, it's almost like the concept of systems thinking, where the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. What we do in Australia is one type of climate change action or sustainability what europe might be doing is something different what america might be doing is something different so i think if we bring that thinking together that's a really good stimulant for local policy because you can look at some of the leaders in other parts of the world in certain areas and you bring that here and kind of mix all that together so i think the school strike that's going on at the moment that talks about the future generations and i think it was uh was it ban ki moon who said that we are the First generation that can end poverty and the last that can end climate change. So this is a wake up call for us, as well as the students and the children of people who are marching. It's a wake- them giving a wake up call to our own policy setters, governments, businesses to take action. And I think, Lynn, you mentioned that you had a farmer, you had a politician, you had celebrities, you had all sorts of different people. The issue of climate change relates to everything, because if you know the Gaia hypothesis, where um, if you don't fix what you're doing, the planet will fix it for you. So it's something that we all have to kind of bring our heads together and think about it holistically, rather than just saying it's a. You might want to edit this. That's uh, a scare tactic or something. You know, some of the skeptics, what they say. It's not. It's not like that. It is an issue that we have to think about. And if you look at the um, the World Economic Forum. So this is an economic body, not an environmental body like Greenpeace or anything like that. So a lot of people respect this, right? This this body w- in terms of what they put out, etc. They,
3: they may be corrupt, but they're honest about it. So they're honest them. about it, yeah. yeah.
1: But they so th- being an economic. Think Tank. This report is called the Global Risks Report, right? And every year they publish the top 10 risks to our planet in terms of likelihood and impact. And in the 2019 report, which was published just two months ago, I think like three or four out of the top 10 risks are environmental risks, like extreme weather events, failure to, you know, climate change adaptation, mitigation. These are issues or risks that are much bigger than things like food security, terrorism, data and privacy, all, you know, issues that are more mainstream environmental issues and risks are first and foremost in that report and something that we really need to be across from a a triple bottom line way of thinking
3: it's a really good explanation of, of the mindset you're bringing to the training and so it'd be a really good opportunity now to sort of get Lynn's feedback on whether you can get the most out of this training as you can possibly get sort of going in with that mindset so
0: I think anyone that comes to the training with an open mind will get a lot out of it. Um, If you come sort of already thinking that you have all of the answers and that you're just there to, you know, hopefully take a selfie with Al Gore and whoever the celebrity might be, I'm secretly winking to everyone in the audience right now. Mm -hmm. I think that when you come in with an open mind to sort of any learning experience, you walk away not only, I think, having enriched your own sort of thinking, but also being open to meeting people who you can learn from and maybe collaborate with, but also meeting people who you probably will still continue to fundamentally disagree with, but it will help you get a little bit better at understanding how different sort of operates. One of the workshops that we are actually organising right now is really framed around what does it mean to be persuasive? So not just being able to communicate with audiences who you know already for whatever reason will resonate or want to listen to your message, but those people that the moment they hear what you're going to be talking about or they sort of read your bio or You know, see your Facebook post, they immediately turn off. And I think one of the things that we see quite a lot at Climate Reality is that there are a lot of people taking action. But for some reason, especially in Australia, we still have a really vocal community of people. And even if they are the minority, of not wanting to take further action on climate change. And I think it's important for us here to not just sort of shame those people or, you know, make it out to be an intelligence measure or anything like that, but really digging a bit deeper and understanding, well, why is that the case? So I think anyone that's coming to this training with an open mind and that willingness to engage will definitely get quite a lot out of it.
3: So as long as you are going in with an open mind, you will be able to get something out of this training. And we all found it kind of humorous what you said about yeah, getting getting the selfie with Al Gore and everything. But how how do you feel about the fact that if, if it's a fact or not even, but going to climate reality, becoming a climate reality leader, getting that you know chance to meet and maybe get a photo with Al Gore, it's kind of seen like just it's a prize, it's applauded, it, it's a feather in your cap, like. How much does that frustrate you as someone who spends so much of your time putting on these amazing events, sifting through thousands of applications for really good, bright, inquisitive, open minds? And then, yeah, the fact that people will sneak through who just like, I want to go because it's kind of like being a celebrity in my own little pocket of the world.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really funny question. Um, Damn the social media generation that I am part of. Uh, I think actually it's, you know, like I definitely have a selfie with Al Gore as well. So like, but then also, you know, serious work photos as well, um, where we're doing, you know, substance based things, not just uh, asking someone for um, a photo. I think like two things on that. I once went to a conference that was actually a World Economic Forum conference and one of the things that was um, sort of shared before like the broader conference was uh, remember you're here to have and start a conversation and leave I guess a lingering question when people have finished that interaction with you. So don't just use your five-second opportunity to engage with whoever it might be to ask for a selfie. Actually, how can you ask them a question that will make them remember you? Um, And I think that's sort of a really useful way of thinking about the broader climate reality training opportunity as well is if you do have an opportunity to meet, whether it's Al Gore or whoever else, and, you know, regardless of what you think about that person, that brand, that company, what would you want to be asking them? We don't always have that opportunity. So that's sort of the first thing. And then I think the second is that, again, like I'm obviously... As someone that works at Climate Reality, very aware of all the critics that we have out there as well. Please continue to send us mail. Um, I happily will reply to you. It's quite humbling, I think, as well. So I have been working on climate change in various sort of forms uh, for about ten years now, and I'd say you know at least six or seven of those were in a very, very full time capacity and not alongside my studies and whatnot. And I think, whilst all kudos to like all of the high school students who are out there, it is a really big question that I ask myself um, every now and then: is like, how do you keep? Getting getting out of bed every morning, because this isn't an easy issue to work on. And even though things might look like they're, you know, going in the positive and right way, that pendulum swings right back pretty quickly as well. And I think for me, when I went and did the climate reality training and something I've heard from many other past participants is that it's humbling to see people taking action on climate change in environments where it might not necessarily be as supported. Um, So I mentioned before when I did the training, I met someone that worked in a coal mine in regional Western Australia. Him going back into his community was definitely going to be much harder than me going back into a high school community where even if like other students teased me, that's nothing on changing. A whole industry and people who might be like sixth Generation co workers. And I think it's sort of the same when you think about the work that individuals like El Gore and, you know, some of the other speakers that we end up having on stage or even the other people in the room, right? Is that these people have been there for decades on decades. And even if that selfie might feel very satisfying in that five second moment, for me, I sort of think about that as that opportunity to be wow, these people, uh, they've been waking up day in, day out and doing this for 40, 50, odd years and that's what's really impressive and I think that being in a room with 800 other people or 200 like whatever the size of the training you may or may not attend one day or you know any sort of climate event is recognizing that the total I guess um, time and effort that people have put in there is just immense and I think that's actually a really humbling experience more than anything else and a lot of people have that experience.
3: Great. So we've kind of been talking about the lead up to going to the training. But when we get to the actual training itself, we've agreed that, you know, going with an open mind is extremely important. But of course, if we get there with an open mind and all we are is surrounded by people who agree with us or think the exact same as us, then it's kind of a waste. We kind of do need to rub up against different approaches, different personalities, different mindsets, and be challenged and be confronted a little bit. So curious for, for you, Lynn, and also for you, Alex, in and, and choosing this constituent mix of 840 personalities are going to chuck like rocks into a rock hopper and spin around really quickly over these three days. What is the kind of ideal mix you're looking for? Because, I mean, you're talking to, to me and Kaushik, are both coming from from Melbourne. Granted, we do have holdouts here, but this is a largely a quite progressive city. We are seeing good action on climate change. There can be a lot more done. But why me and then other people like why them? Like, what is the mix you're trying to achieve?
0: This is like the second round interview. Um, Just so people know, the application process is quite simple. If you go on the website, so again, that was climatereality.com forward slash training, shouldn't take you more than 15 minutes to apply. You won't have a second round interview, so no pressure. There won't be a podcast invitation, Um, although Mark might hit you up at the actual training if you get selected. Just a forewarning there. Something that I caution a lot of people around all the time is actually how similar we all are. I actually think we're very, very different, not just because of how we look or where we work and whatnot, but people are so fundamentally different. And even within sort of the climate change space, if you will, there are people who think market solutions are the way to go because that's sort of the economic system that we already live in. And then there are people who fundamentally believe that climate change is the symptom and, you know, capitalism is actually the root cause of the issue. I obviously have my own personal opinion on that. But as an organisation, we respect and acknowledge that these differences will always exist. And I've never been in a climate reality room where people agree on anything, uh, which is, you know, a great type of organisation to work. Debate is lively. And I think for us, in identifying who these 840 people should be, in some ways, we have like a very specific type of person we're looking for, if you will, like just in our mind, you know, we're thinking about some sort of like archetype if you will but also recognizing that you don't have to pretend to be someone else to apply to this training if you don't already consider yourself to be an industry expert or someone that's able to speak to farmers or who you think of as might being the skeptics of um, whatever that community might be because we hear about it on the news that's okay we pick people because we think they already and so there's a lot of you know hypothesizing here. So make your application a good one, spell it out for us. There'll be less room for human error on our end then. We're looking for people who already have some sense of predefined audience, whether that is their workplace, whether that's the place where they go walking every morning to pick up their local, you know, like coffee from a local cafe, a sporting club that they're part of. We don't really mind where people, I guess, identify as being their audiences, just more so that they do have some sense of who they might actually end up talking to afterwards. And we find that the most, quote unquote, successful climate reality leaders, if you will, after the training, tend to be the ones who aren't doing the training to open up new doors, although obviously some doors do tend to open. It tends to be most effective for people who already have a sense of which doors they could already knock on and recognising that there's power in their voice and power in like their community that they're trying to outreach to as well. One of the ways that we've been trying to break down how do you sift through 800 plus applications? We've identified a couple of different areas where we as an organisation have identified, I guess, scope for change on the issue of climate change. So whether this is sectors and business places that have been slow to act, but we think could be doing more, sectors that we think are actually already leading and could really sort of not just lead in Australia, but lead globally and have sort of earmarked out a couple. So for example, every Australian either loves sport or knows how to pretend to love sport when talking to, you know, a relative or a co-worker. It's It's a big question, especially in Melbourne. Everyone will ask you what AFL team do you go to um, go for Uh, fun fact first day of the training is actually when state of origin is on so any rugby fans um, do what you can to scalp yourself a ticket I actually don't understand rugby so um, I only know that state of origin is a thing that's happening And as a result of that, I think we as Climate Reality recognize that sport is a really big part of the cultural fabric that is Australia. And we've been working with lots of different sporting organizations, individuals within the sporting sector to see, well, what is it that we could be doing there to bring some people on board who might not be as super across climate change as some of the listeners of this podcast might be, but recognize that it's an issue and recognize that whether they're the CEO of a sporting code or whether they're an athlete that we all know the name of, they could be doing something something there to reach out to their community. Another similar example of that would be fashion, which contributes to 9% of emissions. And even if you don't understand what fashion is, we all wear clothes and clothes are strongly encouraged in Brisbane as well. But the weather will be balmy, so you won't need a jumper. So, you know, we're really, I think, as an organisation recognizing that 800 people is quite a lot to look for. So how can we identify some different sectors that might be of interest and how do we ensure that we're not just accepting people from Melbourne? So I know that this podcast has listeners from all across Australia and for people that are listening Even if this doesn't sound like the right opportunity for you, who in your community or in your network do you think this would be a really sort of life-changing moment for who could you potentially share this with? And we tend to find some of our, um, I guess, like surprise participants, if you will, people who when we're reading their application, we're just like, great, we'll have them there, but we don't really think much more about it. They tend to be some of, I guess, our superstars um, after the training in terms of the level of climate change action that they take afterwards, because they found out about the training because a friend of a friend of a friend sent it on to them thinking, I thought I heard you once talk about this at that barbecue. Why don't you consider going to this event? They then go, they then realize actually there's a whole community of people out there and that they can be part of that and they can actually play a leading role as well.
3: So getting onto that maybe, and, and going back to you, Kashek, about what what do we expect, the two of us as the you know applicants, what do we expect it's gonna be like after climate reality for us? So Kaushik, jump forward in time, four months, you're a climate reality leader. What's different? What's the same? What are you excited about?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, Mark. I think as I mentioned before, and also in my application, one of the main reasons I'm really looking forward to doing this training is to learn from other areas, other people around this issue of climate change and how do they go about getting buy-in with especially the, the non-believer community or the ones that are not sure which side of the fence to be on? Because I always find that fascinating. You know, Lynn, you mentioned earlier about waking up in the morning uh, happy or, or maybe not so happy some days. But uh, for me, every morning when I get out of bed, I am happy. And the reason I'm happy is I'm looking forward to that challenge, you know, with, with within the business community, within the, um, you know, it might be the government, whoever it might be. And there are always non-believers and I enjoy trying to find ways, mechanisms to show clarity around this message and, and what it means. So four months or a few months or even a month after the training, I would be looking to take those learnings, targeting stakeholder groups. It might be uh, remote communities. It might be schools. It might be, might be universities. It might be businesses. It might be environmental groups. It might be, you know, wherever I have access, whichever communities I'm able to tap into because I travel a lot through work. I really want to try and find a way to take the the learnings and the training from the climate reality three days in Brisbane and spread that message, you know, in, in a form that's presentable, pleasant and stirs a little bit of debate. But ultimately, we can all kind of be on the same page.
3: So Lynn, t- tell him why he's he's totally right or, or he doesn't know what he's in for.
0: I really feel like this suddenly is a second round interview. It really isn't. Um, as an organisation, uh, sometimes we as staff are hopefully climate reality, for climate reality leaders, their biggest cheerleaders but I also think we're then that sounding board right where before you happen to be launching for you know people that do the training and whatnot uh, an idea or a new campaign or a business venture sometimes we do get these phone calls where it's like hey what do you guys think about this because you're exposed to so many other types of action on climate change and I think our response is always often a little bit more nuanced than this but uh, you know that sounds great have you also considered xyz so I think we as climate reality we're up for all sorts of action even if it's you know something that i react to being like oh god definitely not for me i think cool that that's for them and thank God I don't have to be doing that. How could we make the effort that they're already going to be putting into something much better? Who could we be connecting them with, not just from within the climate reality sort of network but outside of that as well? So I think we really like to think of ourselves as a platform rather than as a gatekeeper. If people want to do whatever, they don't have to come to us looking for you know approval or endorsement or anything like that. We're just here to sort of be your friendly sounding board for all climate-related type ideas for action afterwards. Uh, so, Mark, tell us what you'll do after the training.
3: Well, I feel especially good about what I, I originally had an idea in mind after Kaushik said his his plan, which is great. I had I knew what I was going to say, but then you said, you know, you guys are there to support the climate reality leaders and be a sounding board, and that's exactly what I need because I'm out, you know, doing this climactic podcast. I've got crazy ideas all the time, and I to have a sounding board to have people to bounce ideas off, and also to help me make connections into the right places, that's hugely powerful. So it's very similar, actually, the mission statement between climate reality and, and funnily enough, me, who's been doing this just under a year now, very much in the in the wake and in the shadow of climate reality, is that everything we've been talking about, how climate reality really does act as this cross-pollinator, getting everyone in, in one room and realizing that, yeah, even if you agree on nothing else except that there's a climate crisis... That's still enough to work with someone. So what I'm trying to do with Climactic is definitely just a a public experiment in how the climate community communicates better and how it talks to not only how an environmental group talks to its volunteers, but how the environmental group knows what other environmental groups are doing, why they're not out there on their own in the dark trying to invent stuff from scratch without a clue that the group next to them, one suburb over, has been there, done that, and can give them the cheat sheet. So that that's what I'll be doing. I'll be doing what I was doing before, but hopefully a lot more effectively. So that's great to know that we're going to get all this support and that climate reality has our backs and we get to go to this training for three days. But what do we owe you? What What's our sort of, you know, <laughs> what's the, what's the give back? And Lynn's laughing maniacally. But um, what are we on the hook for,
0: Lynn? <laughs> I love that question. It's my favorite question so far. So for anybody out there that's interested in doing the training, the three days itself is actually free, which I know comes a, a surprise for many people, but this is three days of some of the world's leading experts sharing information about climate change, the different pathways that you could be taking action and some of the skills that you might need and obviously the opportunity to meet so many other people as well. We do just obviously ask participants to fund their own way to Brisbane and their accommodation as well. There are a couple of different scholarship opportunities out there for different communities as well. So it's definitely worth applying and then checking in later to see what your options might be. As part of the training We expect individuals to go back into their communities and take climate action. And what does that really look like? What does that really mean? There are so many different ways of calculating that. And I think one of the uh, ways that we sort of have as a measure is that we ask people to commit to at least one year of very active engagement afterwards, where essentially at least once a month they're doing something that is a little bit additional to what they were doing before. So we recognise that most people coming to the training will have already been engaging on climate change action. They might uh, already be leaders in various ways. So how can this sort of help people level up almost as if this was, you know, sort of a game that we were playing? But obviously it's not. The planet is um, in dire straits right now, so it's very serious. Uh, so we asked people to engage for at least a year. Uh, but if listeners wanted to tune into to the episode that was recorded last year one of the individuals that was on that uh, episode, Marcus, he did the training in 2006 and is still one of our most actively engaged participants. And from our 2006 training and cohort, over 50% of those individuals are still engaged with us, climate reality in some capacity with their climate change efforts. And that's not to say that the other 50% still aren't active. It might just mean that we we as an organisation have done a really bad job of keeping tabs. Um, So I think that... We sort of see the training as a launching pad for whatever it is that people are hoping to do with the rest of their lives without making it sound super daunting when it comes to climate change. And for as long as climate reality can be useful in that, we'd be really happy to be sort of, I guess, partners in crime, if you will, on that journey. And if for whatever reason, we might not be the most effective organization three years on from the training, but you've... you whoever that sort of participant is, um, finds another organization that's sort of better suited to what they're doing at the time. Great.
3: So in a lot of ways, it's like after this three days of training, you're graduating from a college and you're now an alumni and part of an alumni network for the rest of your life. And that can be as active or not as you choose.
0: Yeah, I think that is one way of thinking about it. Um, One of the phone calls that I got earlier this year was really funny, actually. So it was someone who had done the 2006 training. I had never met them before or really heard from them. And, you know, looking at sort of our database, it didn't look like they had been very active. And I was surprised that they got my phone number somehow, but gave me a call saying, hi, I'm recently back from like five years away in London. I was doing climate stuff there, but, you know, obviously just not really engaging locally on Australian-based stuff, but I'm now back in Australia. How do I re-plug in with climate reality? And I was like, great, welcome back. Like, here's what you can do next. So I think that it really is one of those networks that people can keep coming back to. I think the college alumni sort of uh, distinction is funny because for most of the listeners um, to Climactic, I imagine you went to an Australian university where... That doesn't really matter, but I know that in the US that sort of like college alumni mentality is much stronger. Uh, So I like to think of climate reality as the most beautifully diverse slash dysfunctional slash multifaceted family that you've ever had, where we're here when you need us. If you don't need us, then cool, but we'll be back. We'll still be there when you're ready to come back as well. So I think it's one of those things where life is pretty dynamic and chaotic for some people. Uh, And I think we as an organisation accept that we don't expect people to come to a meeting every second night of the week for the next like five years to maintain their climate reality leader status, although people are welcome to if they wanted to do that as well. So I think we are just... As an organisation and trying to do what we can to help people make a difference on climate change in a way that makes sense for them in a way that fits in with their life if they want to quit their job and start an organisation great how can we support that if they want to be fitting this in on the sort of spare day that they have once a month great how can we be supporting that so I think we recognise that because climate change is an issue that impacts everyone It has to take shape and form in a lot of different ways. There is no cookie-cutter approach to solving this problem, and as a result, we have to be open to all of the flexibility and diversity that people might need. So for anyone that's interested in applying, one last time, that link is climatereality.com forward slash training.
3: Alex, how are you feeling about the upcoming training? This will be the first one that's been run since you've been part of the organisation. Granted, though, Atlanta's on, but I'm sure you're not Solely or even maybe partially responsible for that. I from am indeed Melbourne. not there. Fantastic. <laughs> so how are you feeling about June, Brisbane? How much do you want another 1,000 people to apply so you have to go through their applications.
2: I'm actually super excited for another 1000 people to apply so please apply listeners but I'm incredibly excited. Before I was uh, working at the Climate Reality Project I was actually going to apply for the training myself and hopefully would have been accepted and so uh, I deeply believe in the power of this three day training Um, but more than anything I'm super excited to witness the diversity in the room. I think that climate change feeds into all of the causes that people are passionate about outside of climate change as well. That's also how I came to be passionate about it was realising that it feeds into every single social and environmental movement around the world. Climate change is something that's going to impact on all of those things as well. So I think that people will be bringing with them not just their passion for climate change, but all of their knowledge and passion for the different causes they support and the different communities that they represent. So I'm truly just so excited to witness the diversity in the room and see people connect the dots and collaborate across industries or discover people within their industry within their communities that are working towards the same goal.
3: Fantastic. Kaushik, I cannot wait to have you along with me as, as fellow attendees at this year's training. Uh, can I get a sentence from you about how you feel about the training?
1: I am very excited, Mark, for the training. I'm uh, applicant number 87, 85, and you're number 84. Yes. So we're going to have an amazing time together. We're going to meet lots of new people, learn Lots of new things. Get some really cool ideas and implement, implement, implement. Thank you, and thank you to Climate Reality for having us. And we
3: cannot wait to bring you more content from Brisbane later this year. Bye. Perfect. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. That was great. I'm so we glad can that see rain like outside. Yeah, And thank you for joining us for this special with the Climate Reality team, with Kaushik, with myself, who are so excited to be going to Climate Reality in June. And if you got inspired by this, if you're interested in maybe attending the training yourself, well, mission accomplished by us, and just check out the link in the show notes to the training. You have until mid-April to apply. I recommend you do it ASAP, though. It really does only take 10 to 15 minutes. But do put some thought into who your current networks are, what your current audience is, and who you could speak to about climate change once you feel really equipped and up to the task and motivated and challenge to get out there and make a difference. There'll be at least a couple members of the Climactic team at the training, some friends of the show as well, and of course, Al Gore and a whole bunch of amazing science communicators. And it would be great to have you along as well for what is sure to be an amazing experience in Brisbane in June. Thank you so much for joining us. I've been Mark, and have a great day. You've been listening to Climactic, a podcast from the Climactic Collective a group of storytellers dedicated to sharing inspiring, powerful stories in the climate change community. If you've got a story you'd like to tell and you'd like us to help you share it, just get in touch at hello at climactic.fm or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where we're at Climactic Show. If you enjoyed this program, please tell a friend. Independent shows like ours need the help of our listeners to grow. And if you had the time to leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice, we'd greatly appreciate it. The Climactic Collective is Mark Spencer, Rich Bowden, Maxine Baisley, Georgia Sheil, and Bronwyn Gresham. Our producer is Hazel Fiticaro. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. And we'll be back with another story next week.